We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Bucks won a f***ing NBA championship. Yeah! What? What? He tries to take a pulse, baby. Watching that basketball game, like, caused health problems for me. Boogie hates racism and Chris Paul. And who cannot get on board with that platform? If I've learned a lot, this, I, I'm not going to say it. That sounds too good. That was good. Roll on. No, 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 no. If the Bucks do win it all, Pat Connaughton's numbers should be in the rafters. Hey there. Welcome to the Eurostep, a Milwaukee Bucks podcast, probably a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and GSPN. I'm Ty Windish, not joined by Rohan Kadi, who's still in paradise as it's 38 degrees in Wisconsin. No, I'm not salty at all. But um, the reason I'm not salty is joined by a great guest here on today's show, Matt Moore, also known as at HP Basketball on Twitter.com, the worst place on earth. Matt, how's it going? Thank you so much for taking the time to join me to talk MVP today. I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. I always love talking MVP. Well, I usually love talking MVP. It's been rough lately, so I'm excited to have an actual conversation about it. Exactly. And that's what I want to do. You know, I just feel like it's become, you know, every debate is now we have to do historical precedents, you know, everything that's gone into it. I feel like it's not even, I mean, was any of this, and I, I think to for anyone who doesn't know, for any people who are blissfully not on online enough to know, you know, your, I guess, persona on NBA Twitter, I, I'd say award races, you take very seriously in a good way. You do the research and you will debate with people or engage with people, a lot of people, not just, you know, I think there's a lot of NBA Twitter personality media people where it's like blue check only and everything else is ignored because as we know, there is, it's it's easier because there's so much toxicity and just bad faith actors and everything else. You will get into it with folks. And of course, magic numbers. I don't want to short you the magic numbers king of the NBA. I saw the Bucks are one win from the play-in. So Hopefully they can get that locked up against Orlando as we record early on Tuesday. But has there been any point in this race where it's felt like a, a real, like, oh, yeah, this person's having the best MVP season? Or has it been kind of this, oh, we're so pissed Jokic might win all along, in your opinion? No, I think, you know, it was an interesting discussion early on. I like Steph a lot in the early months. Yeah. And Joker, honestly, kind of... Um, cruised a little bit the first two months he wasn't bad but he wasn't as as good first month and a half or so and those actually count towards i think the mvp discussion uh, we had a, i think a lot of there was a lot of 
good candidates that were flawed. There wasn't like one like, oh, obviously. Yeah. And then the Nuggets had a bunch of home games in December and January and Joker started putting up numbers and um, his overall averages started to, to climb because he would have a 30 or 40 point game and then he would have a 15 assist game or 15 rebound game. And Giannis has been in the conversation like from the start, like Giannis is going to be in the conversation every year from start to finish. Like that's who Giannis on the compo is the same way that if Kevin Durant stays healthy, KD is going to be in that conversation. Right. The way that Steph Curry, if he's fully healthy, will be in that conversation. And, um, you know, I think Luka Doncic is another name that has to be in there as well. And Joel Embiid continues to to earn his way into that conversation too. And so you had a lot of these teams that, you know, Boston was the early, you know, talk of everyone. And yeah. so Jason Tatum was like, is Jason Tatum the MVP? And uh, most of us that have done this for long enough were like, no, no Jason Tatum is <laughs> not the MVP. Um, and we kind of knew that this would, this would catch up. Uh, you can, if you really dig in, like it's a really fascinating race. It's a really great race. It's a really compelling case between three elite candidates, but people feel things about this one. They just yeah. really feel things. And I was surprised that honestly, like usually I've, I've had really good interactions with Bucks fans, but for whatever reason, this is the one that they really feel things about for whatever reason. And so it's caused like whenever there's, there's a lot of emotion, then things are going to get toxic because these emotions are not just positive. They're mostly negative about why this isn't fair. And so that's where the conversation starts to, to really wear on you and become counterproductive. The MVP race should be an opportunity to debate greatness, not try and shred apart. Right. Whatever that it is that we've come to, to try and shred apart in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it, it's actually disappointing because I really like Nikola Jokic. I love that every time, at every possible opportunity, he's like, I would rather be on a horse in Serbia, dude. I don't care about this at all. Like, I like, I think he likes basketball. I'm not saying he doesn't care about basketball, but I, I just love what he's about. And it, it is a shame that now, because of this, Sixers Twitter and Bucks Twitter have basically just become like Jokic hate machines. Not entirely, of course, but large swaths. Um, and I think we'll get into, I think, why. This one in particular is so personal for Bucks people. But first, when you look at MVP from your, you know, I, I'd say much better than than anything I can do as mostly a Bucks watcher, your league-wide perspective, every MVP award in every league is a little weird because they define it that way on purpose, right? They don't say best player because, frankly, that would be boring, right? I mean, maybe in football it would be more fun. In basketball, it's Michael Jordan for 10 years, LeBron for maybe 20 years, probably honest, the last couple of years. It's different than best, though. It's most valuable. How do you quantify that? And I guess has your approach at all changed over the last couple of years? Or you kind of mainly have the same sort of criteria or the same idea that you look for when you pick your MVP? Yeah, when I started, when I started really diving into the MVP, when I, I basically I was telling this to my wife earlier, what happened was, you know, when you cover the league on a daily basis and you do as granular as I do, and like I used to you know, blog at CBS and we were covering all sorts of stuff. You have to kind of make a decision about whether or not you're going to care about certain things. And like you can either the MVP is one of those things you either need to care about intensely or not care at all. And you can make that decision. And that's totally fine. Completely understand people's decision. Just be like, it's a stupid award. I don't care. Totally fine. But if you're going to talk about it every day, for me, it's easier to do that through the prism of caring about it. So I decided to invest myself in the history of the award and look at like what really matters in the, in terms of like how we've come to understand the game. And so like the key part of that is always, I write these uh, columns every year that are questions to ask yourself when deciding. And I'm getting ready to write this year's edition, which should be a blast. And so 
Um, do you guys have? Do you, have like, do you guys have commented action? Uh, I think we do. I think we do. Are you and able to turn them do, off? <laughs> yeah, I want to turn them off on this one. Um, but the, the key question you have to ask is like, what's valuable, right? Because that's the word that they leave ambiguous for a reason. And so for me, I came down to, I was like, what do I really care about? Like, what what do I think it really matters in basketball? It's not even about what I care about. Like, what really matters in basketball? And to me, it came down to impact towards winning. The point of professional sports is to make money. The second point of professional sports is to win. And if you're going to do that, then what player actually, his play helped his team win the most, right? And I love that framing for me personally, because it gets away from... You know, when I started to logically kind of interrogate these ideas, it was some of the the things that came across me. And you'll see these arguments, and I, I argued pretty vehemently against them. Is like, well, look at the surrounding cast. I'm like, no, 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 you can't blame a guy for having good teammates. Like, that's not supposed to. Like, that's not a thing against him. He doesn't decide the roster. And two, you should make your teammates look better. Like, everyone should look good because of how you play. That's this is a team sport. It's not an individual one, no matter how we talk about it. Um, and so from then you, you, you kind of seek out the metrics that you trust as far as telling you that, but for me, I, I, I really do try and balance. This is there's so much of a convert talk about like advanced metrics and the analytics. And it's look, when I do MVP, I go through and I will watch thousands of possessions. I watch all of their pick and rolls. I watch all of their field goal attempts. I watch all of their assists. I watch all clip after clip after clip of them defensively to get a sense for what do they provide? What are they good at? What are they not? And really try and provide like the best overall. And like, it's a ton of time, but that's like, to me, I'm like, if you're going to do this and you're going to do it seriously, that's where you got to go. Is you going to be like, Hey, I'm taking a couple of days and I'm just going to watch Giannis defending in the pick and roll and see what he's good at and see where, where he struggles. And you pick up on tendencies and like, you're not going to remember every single clip. This is the problem with the eye test, but that nexus between watching all those clips and really not just being like, well, I've watched it. Cause I've watched the games. No, 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 no. You got to like, just watch that guy. You got to just watch that guy. And then you combine that with the metrics and it gives you the concrete and then kind of the ephemeral and you mix that together and you come out with as much context as you can. And you come out with what I think is a pretty good answer towards who actually impacts winning the most. I, I, I can't argue with that definition. And I do think it's much better than just saying – I think value is such a, a – a, it's – I know why they do what they do because they want things like this, right? Like it's, it's more fun. I, I think it's better coverage. It's more intrigue around the award. But, but I think – like, where did you fall, for example, on the Russ year? Because I remember that year, and I'm not a. I don't. Are you, do you, are you a technical voter? No. So since I went to action, I don't have a vote. Oh, uh, it's mostly based off of outlet. That right? makes sense. Uh, I had the, I had it for one year, and then I switched companies and lost my vote. The actual one year I had it was the Russ year. I was just going to uh, ask about vote. the Russ year. So yeah, I had a vote in, the, in what I think is the best MVP race I've ever seen, and yeah. so. Um, I voted Harden. That okay. was who I voted for in that season. Uh, Kawhi. I was a Kawhi was, guy. Yeah. Yeah. Kawhi was superb that yeah. season. He was awesome. Like the top four, LeBron, Kawhi, uh, Russ, and Harden were all very deserving. And like that's how it usually is. Is usually mm -hmm. there's multiple guys that are worthy of it. Like this year, Giannis, Embiid, and Jokic all are very much deserving of MVP. It's just parsing who's most deserving. Um, in the Russ year, you know, I looked at it and I was like, look, if you look at my argument again, my best argument against Russ, and again, we talk about like not wanting to tear guys down, but I was like, yeah. look, 
you know, I, and I made the case, I make as part of my process, I write the cases for every serious candidate. Right. So I've written the case for Giannis four times now. I've written the case for Harden like five. I've written the case for Jokic three. And so one of the things with, with the Russ argument, though, on the negative side was like, look, what he does offensively, he is the entire engine. And he's underrated in terms of what he creates for others, but a lot of it is very rote passing. And ultimately, this offense isn't very good. So if we're going to sit here and say that, does Russ value, like make his impact on defense? No, obviously not. He makes his impact on offense. Okay. How much of an impact does he make on offense? How good does he make the offense? And the answer was not very. And that was a big component of it was if Harden and Westbrook are both these uniquely amazing, incredible individual offensive engines, whose results actually bear out to a better performance? And the answer was for me, Harden. Kawhi, for me, it came down to when I really analyzed his passing that season, um, he hadn't taken the leap that he did a couple of years later. Like yeah. a couple of years later, he really developed into a, a much better high level passer. And that if he passed like that in that year, I might've voted for him. Also like he had tra started to transition to more of an offensive player and there's always going to be a little bit of a drawback on defense, but yep. perception of Kawhi was still like, Oh, this is Kawhi, the best defender in the league. And I was like, he actually kind of struggles with bigger guys. Like Kawhi used to have a real problem with guys that had a lot of lower body strength. He couldn't move them as well. Now he's much stronger as he's gotten older. Um, but that was like one of the, the small knocks. This is where you get to, you have to nitpick. You just yeah. have to kind of do it in a way that isn't tearing a guy down and saying like, he's a joker. He's, he's terrible. Like this is where this conversation gets to with Giannis having no bag um, with MB being a foul merchant yeah. with Jokic being empty stats and a horrible defender. Yeah. Like none of these things are accurate. We can parse out criticisms to accurately try and determine who's the most deserving candidate without going too far. And that's where I think a lot of people struggle. Yeah, and I think that's probably – and it's your process in particular too, why this one – and I just think online communities seem to just be getting more toxic gradually, which is a sad sure. thing. I don't know. I don't want to get into a whole societal thing because we don't have time. But um, you know, when you do that, right, parsing out, which is I, – I think it is the only way that you can really pick a winner because if you just looked at the good – you'd probably end up with like a 10-way tie for first, right? Maybe not 10, but as you said, there's so many great players in the league right now, even with the injuries, and it's been a bad season for that. There's so many excellent players who are playing right now and you could make a case for, but you need to nitpick to a certain extent. But those nitpicks then, you know, get to Nuggets, Sixers, Bucks, Twitter. It's, oh, you hate this guy. Oh, you're bashing this guy. Yeah. When it is the only way to make the difference. But Let's let's go in and I could ask you about specific races for a lot now because I think some of them have been so fascinating to watch. But um, Giannis's case or, or Giannis's case against, I don't know which is easier to start with. But I, I put down for both guys just kind of the Spark Notes version and I would love your, I guess, ex extended take. And you obviously don't, you know, the article's coming. Everyone should go read the article when it drops. I'm sure things will be updated and more will be in there. But the Giannis case. The yeah, so the Giannis the, case yeah. is going to be very similar to what I, I've written about him before. Giannis is the most dominant player in the NBA. 
He is the most dominant. There is no way to stop him. You can slow him down, but you cannot stop him. And that's evidenced by just watching him play. Uh, He's a better passer, I think, than he gets credit for as a primary initiator in the offense. He is the one-man offense. Like, he is not the one-man offense. He is the key engine for the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, This year, he's diversified his play set quite a bit, which is a good thing. Like it's good that they're getting him involved in different capacities. So it's not just, you know, one five, him running into four dudes. Like it's good to get him running as a screener as well. Um, obviously look, he, he is a high level, not high level elite level defender. Um, he is a guy that it's hard to parse the impact of because no one challenges him because why would you ever want to go against him? What in your, what in any scenario makes you think, yeah, this is the guy I want to attack. Uh, so that makes it difficult to kind of analyze wh- how good he is because guys just simply don't try and test him. Yeah. And that does you know factor in. You have to kind of keep an eye on that. He's an amazing help side defender. Uh, he is a key component in tandem with two other elite defensive players in the third best schedule adjusted defense in the NBA that has at times flirted with being number one, was number one for several months of the season. Uh, he is the best player on the number one team in the NBA currently, as far as record goes. And ultimately, his on-off differential is still superb. When he's on the floor, the Bucks are dominant, and they need him, and he gives them the best chance of winning the NBA title through his play that's demonstrated in the regular season. And those numbers in uh, totality are what winds up leveling him up to the case for MVP. Yeah, I think from watching him, you know, so focused that my my perspective, right, the the Bucks watcher perspective, the most dominant thing I think does stand out, and that's where you have to start. He's just he's not really stoppable, and even when you stopped him, you know, it, you, obviously he loses, right? He doesn't score every time, he doesn't win every game, but that's the aura of just like none of it matters. You can block me at the rim, and I'll fall down and just try again, and I think. That's obviously why they won a championship. That's why they're so good. It, it all comes from him. Like play style on both ends. I think mentality on both ends. You know, one of the most drama-free teams in the league. That Serge Ibaka and Thon Maker requesting trades four years apart aside. They, they just carry on. They just keep going. Yeah. They lose in ugly fashion. It doesn't matter. They figure it out. They lose Chris Middleton for a playoffs and they don't win it all, obviously. But And then a lot of the next season, they still end up first in the NBA. But I know... The Bucks' offense in particular is something that both to Giannis's MVP case and to their championship case, which I think we can talk a little bit about later, is probably the biggest single detracting point. Is that correct to say in, in your mind that Milwaukee's overall offense is kind of, I guess you'd say, the, the blemish on Giannis's case? Yeah, so it's similar to a degree to Russ. I'm not comparing Russell Westbrook and Giannis oh, on Kumpo. Giannis <laughs> is a much more complete player. Uh, but the Bucks are 18th in schedule adjusted offensive rating this season. Um, they were downright bad for a solid two months of the season between November and de- December, and they kicked it up. And what I was surprised at is I was like, yeah, but they've been lights out for the last month. And so I was like, all right, I'm gonna look at the last 15 games. They're 13th. Good. But like, this isn't like, they're not an elite offense. And you could say like, well, yeah, but that's because of the, no, no, no. Okay. Your job is to make like that's the level here that we're talking about. We're not I'm not saying that Giannis can even get them to be to make more shots. I'm not arguing that. But you have to deal with like what the play has resulted in. And we've seen in prior seasons, I will say like this, the hardest part I have with Giannis personally 
is judging him against his standard that he has set. Mm. So when he's less efficient as he was from the field, like his field goal percentage really struggled for the first like three months of the season. He has quickly caught back up because he's been shooting like 60% over the last like 20, 25 games. But I have a hard time not holding him to that standard. If I'm like, I know you could like, I know you're capable of more. And the question there though, is like, it doesn't matter what he did versus last year's Giannis. What matters is if his, this year's Giannis is still better than everybody else's. Um, the problem is when we do com- start to compare them with the other candidates. Now I think he's passed Embiid. I think that he was behind Embiid and he's passed him. Um, and that was part of it. But like that started, starts to factor in a- as a way of balancing this. It's not that I ignore the defensive side of this because Joker's defense for the first month and a half of the season was rancid. Like <laughs> the Nuggets were 28th in defense for a month and a half. That yeah. matters. They've been sixth for three months. That also matters. So we have like this balancing act that we kind of have to get to. Um, if we accept that offense is like where the, the majority of the impact is made. And with Giannis, I would still argue that due to the fact that he does have such like Brooke Lopez is a serious DPOY contender. Drew should probably be in that conversation every year. Right. And I'm not going to, again, not going to punish him for having those, those guys. It's that I personally can't parse that Giannis is the most impactful part of that defense in part because NBA defense is largely systemic. Anyway, if you have weak points, even if they're just one or two, you're going to get picked apart and if your overall scheme is bad, you can have good personnel and still suffer. So we kind of get back into like what the offense looks like. And when Giannis is on the floor, they've got a 114.7 offensive rating. That's absolutely tremendous. With Joker on the floor, it's 124.9. So right. this is where we start to run into the problem of like the Nuggets offense is so much better than the Bucks offense is with Giannis on the floor. The counter to that is, well, let's look at the defense, though, because the defense is so much better as well. And honestly, is like it's it's noticeable here. The difference, though, is like 124.5 to 114.7, a 10-point percentage differential in how the offense is on the floor with Jokic versus Giannis, and then a 107.5 to 110 for Jokic on defense. Like, this is where it gets tough, because it's like a 10-point gap on offense and a 3-point gap on defense. And that's where like this starts to if we took from a metric standpoint, yeah, it starts to get really complicated. Giannis gains ground in eye test, but that I think is where kind of the offense and defense balance kind of starts to take shape. Yeah, I think, and I'll I'll bring this up because I know I've seen it become a go-to for Bucks fans with this particular part of the discussion is the minutes with bench versus with starters. And I know, I don't know for, I have not pulled up the numbers. So I'm, I want to ask you, because I know in addition to your work at Action Network, you host Locked On Nuggets, right? So you you do cover the Nuggets a lot and have a, no, a lot of knowledge, obviously of all the teams, but of that team in itself. I, is it true that Jokic plays more with the other starters? And again, that's not, and I do think some of the reason that I kind of lost luster for this this whole conversation and the Bucks offense and everything else is I agree with the people who are saying, and I've said this, we've had this conversation on Twitter of like because of Chris Middleton and everything else. But you're right though in that the MVP cannot be aspirational, an aspirational award, because then it doesn't make sense anymore. It's an award for the 22-23 regular season. It's not an award for what you could be at the end of it or what you could be in the playoffs. So I do think 
those things are true. And I think I, I have less concern about Milwaukee's offense and just more still about health, which is still a big concern for the Bucks overall. But the the specific um, on-off splits and offense and defense, both sides splits, how much do you think the the Bucks and their rotations being different and, and beleaguered, but also just different versus Jokic playing more with Denver's starters? I mean, I think it matters. Um, the, there's a couple of things here that are that are relevant to this discussion. One, so Jokic plays about until the two-minute mark of the first quarter, and then he exits. He plays the entirety of the third. He doesn't come back in until about the seven-and-a-half mark, ideally, unless the bench is completely bleeding, um, to come back in and, and finish out the game. He does play with a staggered bench lineup towards the end of the first and the third, where Bruce Brown comes in for Jamal Murray, because Jamal Murray... Uh, staggers with the second unit sometimes mpj will stagger with the second unit sometimes aaron gordon so Jokic does play consistently with the bench unit the problem with this is that the minutes with Jokic alongside the bench are still astronomical they'll right. still they're still insane right and so some of this gets to like well if Giannis played more with with the starters then his numbers would be better yeah but he doesn't yeah. like i'm even willing to grant you like maybe if Giannis only played with starters then the numbers would be better and the performance would be better and the Bucks would be better, but they don't. And like, this is the same thing as we get into with health or with teammates, which is it, I can't punish Jokic because his rotation gets him more minutes with starters. Right. Just like I can't reward. If I can't punish Jokic for it, I can't reward Giannis for something that doesn't happen. I have to deal with like, what is I have to, I always get back to this when we talk about these net ratings and these types of numbers. The reason they matter to me is it's literally how much ass do you kick when you're on the court? That's what matters to me. And it doesn't matter like whether you're playing with starters or the bench. I can contextualize that in a conversation. But for MVP, I have to look at how much ass do you kick when you're on the court? And if the reason that you don't kick as much ass is that the bench, you play more with the bench. If you want to win MVP, which is a high bar you're going to have to just be better. Like you're just going to have to be. And I don't know, like if you're just like, well, that's not fair. The MVP is not going to be fair. Like it's, there's always going to be these things that go against each other. And I'll, I'll tell you this, like Steph Curry, I think is, was having one of his best seasons before he got hurt. I thought Kevin Durant was going to be the one that was going to win it last year before he got hurt. That's not fair either, but we have to kind of take what has happened and approach those from that direction. I don't mind Bucks fans pointing these things out that he's anchoring these tougher units. My, I would just point out that when we do the splits of Jokic with Bruce Brown, Jokic with the backups, you know, power forwards, that everybody's numbers go so far up with Joker. And that's been true every single season that I have a hard time buying into the argument of like, well, Giannis of these these bench guys, that's that's the job of an MVP is you got to raise those units up as well. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Right. So last thing on Giannis. Now, I want to dive into Joker's case, too, before then talking about, I guess, where they're at now and how things could shift as we get toward the end of the season. I probably won't dive too much too in, into Embiid, just, you know, Bucks podcast, Joker's the sure. main opposition. Great case, great two-way player. Just went into Milwaukee and beat the Bucks on Saturday. I think, you know, I don't – What do you, actually, real quick, why do you think overall Embiid has kind of fallen off? Is it in just his play has not been as consistent? I know early in the year – it seemed like he wasn't getting always getting back or putting in max effort, which kind of seems like it, it's applied to really all of these guys at some point in the year. But what what goes into Embiid kind of falling behind the other two? Uh, this year in particular, I yeah. think it's that the Bucks won 16 straight, and the the in order I think for Embiid to win, they're going to have to look like the best. Yeah, because he has another superstar next to him, and James Harden. The and all of the numbers are always like good, really good, but they're not elite level, right? He's not leading the league in scoring. He was for a while, but that's dipped. When we look at like efficiency, it's not the same. Like he doesn't have any sort of like signature thing. It's just like Joel Embiid's awesome, and he is like he's absolutely freaking incredible. If the Sixers had gone on a 16 game winning streak and had gotten to the one seed, we'd be talking about Embiid as a primary competition for for Jokic and probably maybe in front, but. Because he hasn't, that's I think is why he hasn't. He's slid a little bit. I think all three of them are are very close, and a run down here in the last fifteen games could still very much win it. I don't think Embiid's done. I just think that um, he's. It's hard to make the case for him when you watch and his overall impact on the floor relative to what Giannis and Jokic do. That makes sense. Do you think his case being more similar to Giannis's than Jokic's? And I know he was, I think, second the last two years, so it's not like he's had trouble breaking in. But in this year, when Giannis is now very much back in the conversation, is that a difficult, I guess, ground for Embiid to pass unless the Sixers are just dem- demonstrably better than the Bucks? Because I think Giannis and him, obviously much different players, but I think similar cases, whereas Jokic is, is stylistically so much different and I think it's almost harder to compare versus Giannis and Embiid where you're saying, you know, kind of similar, I guess you could say impact on both ends, but we know Giannis is better and Giannis's team is better. So that's just a difficult thing to parse for Joel at that point. So like, a, here's a good example of this is you can't find like the silver bullet. You can't yeah. find like the, I'm always trying to search for like, what's like the one sentence answer for the MVP. It's with Giannis, like I said, it's most dominant. With Jokic, it really is like he impacts the offense more than anybody else in the league. Um, and he makes everybody better. You can go a couple ways with, with Joker. 
it's you can't be like Embiid's the most dominant two way player in the league because you know, arguably Giannis is. You can't go with uh, he's the best scorer in the league because arguably Luca is you, or Durant. Like you can't go with um, okay, but the advanced metrics, right? Because like Embiid technically has a better net rating currently than Giannis at seven point three on court. That's how much they win by per hundred possessions, right? Which is still way behind. It's almost half of Jokic's because again the numbers are ridiculous, and I can I can admit that. Um, the problem is if we just look at Embiid and Giannis, it's like, okay, so Embiid is basically at the same level, but the Bucks win more games. So what's the difference there? And you're not able to like, go like, look at all the things that Embiid does, like his rebounding, not the most dominant rebounder. It, Embiid is just excellent in all of these different areas. And part of this too, is like the defense also with Harden and Maxi, and this is not his fault, but again, this is how it goes. With Harden and Maxi, the defense we've seen in the last couple of days like just falls off a cliff, right? It just absolutely plummets into an abyss. Like as an example, Joel Embiid has a one ten point six on court defensive rating. Jokic is a one ten point seven. People that are upset with the analytics conversation are like, "Are you trying to tell me that Joker and Embiid are the same level of defender?" I'm like, "No," but I'm telling you that the overall impact is basically the same. That like. The results are that the Sixers defense isn't demonstrably better than the Nuggets when Jokic is on the floor. I agree that Embiid's a way better <laughs> defender. Absolutely. But the results don't bear it out. And so it doesn't yeah. matter how good you are in theory. Again, this is in practice. And I think that Embiid is a better one-on-one -on -one defender, but he's not making the team defense good enough. And then there's like also stuff I can get into about like Embiid's specific schematic lim limitations and some of his weaknesses that's yeah. really nitpicking versus like with with Jokic, i have like a hundred things i can talk about where he's weak on defense um so all those kind of conversations factor in so that that to me is is kind of how that plays out so you mentioned like the silver bullet i i think to get back to Giannis quickly before we go over to joker a bit more although i think the case is easy for joker i mean it's you know, he's an offensive god but Giannis' silver bullet i think comes down to I guess you could even say a duel. I wonder which you would prioritize as more convincing. There's the most dominant, which I think is just out there and was all kind of, you know, knock on wood, always going to be true for Giannis as long as he's healthy and in his prime. And also the, the narrative story, which I think people will roll their eyes, maybe rightfully. I mean, people roll their eyes at Russ. I think people kind of, was it, was it Jokic's second MVP where he got the Nuggets to be so good? as a playoff team without Murray and MPJ right. for a lot of the year. S similar ish deal without Chris for a lot of the year, without Drew for a dozen games. Now I think the bucks are the first seed in the NBA and, and maybe they'll hold it. Maybe they won't, you know, I'm obviously digging into this a lot now and the Orlando game without either Giannis or Drew will be big tonight, but what are, are those convincing to you? Or do you look at that as kind of, and I know most dominant is, but the, the, you know, carrying the beleaguered team, is that convincing and is that a big help, a little help? Or how do you view that in terms of this race, this, again, amorphous value conversation? So the Chris Middleton part doesn't. And this is key is that when I made the case for Jokic last year, I actively worked against that narrative where I was like, it, it is not Joel Embiid's fault that Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. got hurt. That doesn't he shouldn't get punished in an MVP conversation because Joker got saddled with Austin Rivers, good player. But like, 
Austin yeah. had the start, right? Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. impressive. Like if I talk outside of the MVP conversation, I'm like, can you believe this guy dragged the squad to the playoffs? But right, I don't want to get into that conversation. Like it's if if it's like, well, they couldn't be better because of Chris was out. That's how it goes. Like again, sometimes just bad luck. A lot of things got to go your way to win MVP. It's a credit to Giannis that, that Chris has missed all this time and he's still in the discussion. I think the narrative concept, the way I, I've kind of come around to this is it is fine if you want to define it as like, what's the story of the season? That's actually to me is like you have it. You have defined valuable. Right. Which is like the most valuable thing to me is what who is the story of the season? I don't have to agree with it for that to be a valid perspective. We can all have different definitions of valuable as long as we do the work to really interrogate them, as long as we do the work to be like, okay, so narratively, this is a really good story. Is the greatness on par with what you expect? And that's where we return more to like concrete things of how you play. You don't even have to get into like the advanced metrics that I use or, or watch all these possessions. You can just be like, he's the best player on the best team. Yeah. I think that that's a tricky uh, framing because then it becomes like how much of those two things are tied. Like when the Suns were, were number one, does that make Devin Booker the best player? Like, obviously not. Right. And so some, it's like, some no. people did ask that question. Yeah, I agree they did. with you, but yeah. Right, right. And so like, if, if you're, if you're independently, like, look, I think Giannis is the best player and his team has got the best record. And those are the two things that matter the most to me. I think that's a, it's not compelling to me because I'm a sicko. But like, <laughs> if you're, if you had a vote and that's your framing, I'm not going to be like, what a terrible vote. That's horrible. That's awful. Right. I, I don't think that you have to arrive at the same conclusion. I do. The important thing for me when I have these discussions is just let's give the, these players their due of really going through it and doing the work to come out with the best answer that we can. And that feels a little shorthandish to me, but it's okay because at least you at, you define these things from a simple rubric and you approached it that way. Um, so yeah, I think that, that the answer of they're the best team, he's the best player. That to me is a valid perspective. You know, they accomplish so much without, without, without Chris, honestly, here's the thing. If I had a vote last year, I would have voted for Giannis last year. I would have voted for Giannis and like he did that without Brooke Lopez for yeah. most of the season because he was better that year. Like he was just that awesome. And like, that's where I think that like, that's how I wind up approaching these things is how good were you? How much ass did you kick? And you know, what were the ult ultimate results that we can point to, to determine that value? I think that's fair. And I think I almost wonder if, I, I don't know if he cares anyway, but it, it almost, Jokic potentially getting three in a row. I do think it's going to be not annoying because listen, I, it, on Twitter today, it's because of Kendrick Perkins, unfortunately, initially, but it, like the, the racial bias of voters historically. And again, I don't think it's, Jokic is a great white player, so let's give him three MVPs. But, you know, it, it has voter fatigue affected black players more? I think yes. I mean, I think, you know, Michael Jordan and LeBron should have more MVPs. And I think, again, I'm not saying there are individual racist voters that prevented that. And obviously, as many people have said to me on Twitter, 
there are simply more black players who have won MVP. So of course it would happen to them more. Maybe that's related. Maybe that's not. I do think for it to all happen to Jokic, a player who I don't think cares about this at all and has said as much to Mike Singer of the Denver Post and others, it's it's frustrating a little bit because I do think he's just having such a great season. And the case is, as we've talked about, the I think similar, honestly, in a little bit of a weird way, to Steph when he won the two unanimous ones before KD got there. Just an offensive engine that no one else is close to in the league. Like what he does to Denver's offense and thus their ability to win games because, yes, he's not as good of a defender as Giannis or Embiid, but they still win a lot of games. Like they're half a game behind the Bucks right now. I think if they were sixth again, I think maybe Giannis is leading. Who knows? But they're not. They're really good. They're, they're probably going to win the West, especially with everything going on in Memphis. So his case, I'll, I'll let you dive in more because you've studied this more, but it, it's not like I don't understand why you would vote for Jokic. What he does on offense is absurd. His scoring is lower, but his true shooting percentage is DeAndre Jordan-esque. Like it's insane what the guy does. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of things to, to kind of start with here. Yeah, I think yeah. um, the biggest argument I've gotten from Bucks fans, and they're very passionate about this, is that Giannis was held to an unfair standard in 2021 because he hadn't won a title and there were voters, Zach Lowe being one of them, and who on earth doesn't respect Zach Lowe as a basketball mind, Tim McMahon being another one that admitted that Giannis's playoff failures played a role in their perception of the MVP. I understand that. I can understand that. Like, I was like, I didn't, I hadn't really caught those. And so when Bucks fans like showed those to me, I was like, oh, like I have to admit that I was wrong. Like I was wrong. That was a factor. The problem I have is like the Bucks weren't great that year. Like they were integrating Drew and trying to get used to a whole new team with much less depth and trying to transition from being a team that did one thing awesome to being a team that could do different things so that it didn't get absolutely kicked out of the playoffs like it did versus the Heat and Raptors. And it was successful. They won the title. It was awesome. I love seeing the Bucks win the title. I'm a small market guy. It was incredible. Um, that, that's where this starts to get, that's where I get defensive is when Bucks fans are like, you're just caping for Jokic. I'm like, guys, do you have any idea how hard I've argued for Giannis? Do you have any <laughs> idea how much time I've spent arguing? Like when Harden fans were like, Harden deserves it. I was like, no guys, like it's Giannis. This is really not close. Like yeah. 2020 was absolutely Giannis on in combo. 2021 was honestly Nikola Jokic. Um, as far as what Joker does, like, look, the metrics are so good that people now just tune them out and they're like, I don't want to hear about your warps and schmarps. I'm tired of it. As if like those things don't matter where if you have a number that's in your favor, then all of a sudden it's like, Ooh, I like that stat. It's like, okay, the, I, I'm just asking you, are numbers good or bad? Like have a, have a position. It's fine. Just don't tell me that some numbers are good and some numbers are bad. Um, Some of this gets into look the assist rate for, for Joker. And we have these absurd things like he's that, pads or uh the secondary assists was one i heard the other day which is a phenomenal thing here um joker's ability to read the floor and how he creates opportunities and leverages the defense every single play i personally do not think any player in the nba has more control over the game right now offensively than nikola Jokic. the only players i think i've seen that have this level are like prime lebron Prime Chris Paul. Like, that's how much of a floor general you have to be. Uh, Giannis doesn't have to control the game 
because Giannis will run right through you because he is a monster. Like, yeah. again, most dominant. But Giannis's game, though Giannis is a cerebral player and does adapt to things and figure out things, and you can see that in his game and the way that he attacks matchups and his footwork, but he doesn't manipulate defenses the way the Joker does. Again, doesn't have to. But Joker does what he does at such an absurdly high level that it really speaks to his MVP candidacy. Um, the offense when he's on the floor is just beyond belief. It's absolutely ridiculous. Like he has a 125 offensive rating. That's absurd. A 60, a 66% effective field goal percentage for a guy that doesn't dunk a lot. That's pretty insane. And yeah. he's, it's not like he's hitting open jumpers, right? It's not like Russell Westbrook where it's like, he just happens to come off of a pick and roll and be open. You can run inverted pick and roll with him, with him as the ball handler. He has tremendous chemistry with Aaron Gordon in a, a high-low game. He has exceptional chemistry in a two-man game with Jamal Murray. Like, all of these things combine to where he is singularly, to me, he controls the game at a level that no one else does, and the results are that the Nuggets are the most potent offense in the NBA. The only reason they're not first in all of the offensive categories is because of the moments that Jokic is not on the floor which I don't, that's the one area, like I said, I don't, you know, I don't get into the on-off splits because yeah. I only care about what happens when you're on the court. I never make the argument, look how bad the Nuggets are without Joker. That's a bad argument to me. What, he has, he has crappy teammates, so Giannis doesn't deserve to win because the right. Bucks put a better roster around him? Like, that's nonsense. But the minutes when Joker is on the floor, they are at a, such an absurdly elite level and they beat opponents by more than anyone else does that to me is why is his best case for MVP. Yeah, I think it's hard to argue quite honestly. It really is. I would love Giannis to win the award and I'm excited to talk about, you know, I guess where it's at because I know this is something. And I think part of the reason that online discourse sucks is people read more into what you say than is actually there. And you specifically also everyone this is the thing that frustrates me the most on Twitter. You know, just this like reading of context that it's just nowhere included. Not not at all what I was saying. And I think especially with someone who puts so much time into MVP, you can almost be seen as like the media monolith, right? Like you gave it to Jokic three years in a row now. And you just said it. Wanted Giannis to win last year. But you, you, Matt Moore, you keep giving it to Jokic, damn it. Um, but I, I think some of the... The issue is obviously the three in a row. Do you – and I think I, I can guess what your perspective on this is going to be. Let me try to. It would be a disservice to any individual race to put in the last two MVP. Am I, am I on point in that? Or is it something that you think about? So uh, here's what I think. Um, I didn't expect this to be a conversation because I thought there was no way that Joker would put in the season. I was like, I, I, I argued vehemently against him being like a bettable candidate in preseason. <laughs> I was like, there is no way that he's going to put up the numbers necessary. He's got Jamal Murray and MPJ coming back. Aaron Gordon's got to get touches. Like there is zero chance that he's going to put up the necessary numbers. He'd have to do something like have a 66% effect of field goal percentage to put up enough points. Whoops. <laughs> like he'd have to have these games where he's scoring 40 when Jamal Murray has to sit. Whoops. Um, and I did think that the voters would hold it against him. 
And I still think that there will be a resistance to him. I still think there is a baked in resistance. This is what's been frustrating is like, there's this idea that they're like, well, he was, he got 75 out of a hundred votes. So it's a runaway. No, the voters did not get together when Tim Bontemps does a straw poll and go, okay, you vote for him and I'll vote for this guy. And he, we agree it should be 75%. No, everyone just voted like I'd have Jokic first right now because they, they watch basketball. Like that's just where they got to. Um, the Bucks hadn't gone on a 16 game winning streak yet. Right. So like I would imagine if you did the vote today, probably closer. Um, I don't mind taking into the historical importance of the award. It's that if you're, I I keep coming back to this. To me, the award is a one-year thing. I've heard arguments otherwise, that they're like, no, it's like a multi-year. I'm like, no, it's literally the 2022-23 regular season MVP award. That's literally what we have. If you're going to base it, if like the, the idea is the performance, it should be based off of performance, I think, of like how you played basketball from October 18th through April 9th. If that's like, we agree that's the time frame. Then I don't know how you can justify saying, well, I might have given it to this guy, but I can't have it be a three-time winner. So that you're literally saying, I'm not going to give it to the most deserving person. And at that point, I think everything kind of crumbles and falls away. Now we're like trying to manipulate history. This is the same thing as when people say like, it's weird to have a three-time MVP that hasn't won a title. Okay, so if you don't give it to him and then Joker were to win the title because Denver is really good. Okay, if that were to happen, now all of a sudden the vote that you made was wrong because you incorrectly predicted future events that would have occurred after you actually had to put in the vote. We get into this space-time continuum nonsense, which drives me insane as well. So, like, for me with the three-time thing, I think it is, like, it's a relevant thing of history. I think Giannis could have been a three-time winner. I think Steph could have been a three-time winner. I think KD honestly could have been a three-time winner if he hadn't gotten hurt the way that he did in 2015. There's all these ways, and it just didn't happen. It just so happened for Jokic. And if you want to make the argument that you think Giannis was better... Even if you're just like, it's dead heat, like they are exactly tied in my mind. And in the absence of that, I will lean towards the historical precedent. Okay, if you need a tiebreaker, that's fine. But if you genuinely think the Joker is the more deserving candidate, I don't know how you vote for Giannis just out of that precedent. I'm okay if you vote for Giannis if you think he's better. But we have to start this with... Who has been the most deserving candidate by your definition of valuable this season? And I think that is the only fair way to do it. And I will say, and I know you've made this point a few times, that it did happen to Giannis to some extent. And again, I'm not saying that you did this as many people seem to do. But there are clearly voters and influential voters. Again, everyone respects that. Well, can't say every everyone does anything anymore in this world, but... Most people really respect Zach Lowe. I'm one of them. I love Zach Lowe. I'm a very regular listener to Low Post. And that was held against Giannis. I also, though, I didn't think he had a great candidacy that year by Giannis standards either. Like, I, I, I remember that season going, this is very frustrating. And it is, you know, it is ridiculous that that would just be like the de facto position. Like, oh, he hasn't done it, so he can't win. Of course, he goes on to do it, and it would have looked fine in retrospect had he had the most deserving case. I also agree with you. I think that the second the what the year that Joker ended up winning, the second one, twenty two, Giannis had a better campaign. It also wasn't, I think, an earth shattering one. I haven't been all that fired up about MVP since twenty twenty, 
because I don't think Giannis has had the greatest case those last two years. And you're, to your point, which I meant to go back to that I agree with, I don't think it should be held against Jokic because for the same reason that I'm saying here it shouldn't be held against Giannis, I do think it's wrong. And I do think it's wrong to put whether – and again, I'm not – I'm sure that to some extent there is implicit racial bias as there is everywhere to the MVP sure. vote. And I'm sure that there was – the three-time thing went against Giannis and I'm sure that all these other things have happened. It's probably good if we can take as much of the superfluous not related to being the best basketball player out of the award. It's good going forward. So if that's what it ends up being, I won't be mad if Nikola Jokic wins because that's what we should want. And just because, as you mentioned with analytics earlier, you you shouldn't pick and choose and say like, well, it's okay to have bias when my favorite player wins the award. That's not good. We we should just want the right guy to win, even if it's going to piss people off, which, I mean, that's life. And and I think part of this is I I really don't understand the idea of I was really upset that this unfair standard was held against my guy. So we should apply the same unfair standard. No. What if Giannis wins the next two? What if he wins 24 and 25? And now because you've been like, you have to punish Jokic the same. Now we're back to this where it's like, you can't give a guy three. Is Giannis really that good? What if he only has one title? Then we're going to give three to only a one title winner. Like, there are all these bizarre, strange extrapolations that everyone's got different kind of levels for when it's just like, guys, like we have six months of basketball. Let's look at the six months of basketball and decide who is most valuable. You know, even if you're just like, I, I'm not saying you got to even take like the numbers. That's fine. Again, just like, I feel like Giannis is the best player. Sure. Okay. If you did that about like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like a, a fringe case. Like if you said that about John Morant, I'd be like, that's a little weird. Like, <laughs> I don't know how you really believe that, but okay. Like yeah. the MVP, you know? And, and so I, I, I agree with you. The, the racial bias stuff is like, wow, we're here. Um, to me, there's a couple of things here. Systemic racism exists across everything. It, it's yeah. embedded in our society. It is evident. And, and like, you do not have to do use the MVP debate to, to, to showcase this uh, wage gap, affordable housing, health, health outcomes, police brutality and murders. Like we have yeah. all these measures to show us how this is implicit. And that's not to say that it's not evident in this. Like there is, there is a definite problem with a white majority media covering a black majority league. And that is always going to be a tension point. the, Voter block is, I think, in I haven't checked the numbers on this, but anecdotally, it's probably the most diverse it's been. And that's a good thing. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, that's how it should be. But at the same time, like, we can acknowledge that implicit bias and still interrogate the question honestly and still reach the same conclusion. It is not, you know, systemic racism creates an implicit bias towards white players. And therefore... Jokic cannot win MVP. That's where we start. Right. Like that's where our logic right. starts to break down. Mostly for me, I just wind up being like, I don't feel like people that are Perkins. I don't feel like there's an effort here to be like, let's tackle systemic racism and use this as a conduit. What this is, is I don't want Jokic to win. So we're going to use this as like a reason. And it's like, if you want to talk about like the implicit bias in media and how that impacts things or the inherent wrongness of, of majority white media impacting black bonuses when it comes to 
player performance in their contracts, 100% and the media will happily meet you there because God knows none of us are comfortable with that. Yep. Right. But using it as shorthand for Jokic shouldn't win. And then finding this reason that to me does a disservice, honestly, to like the greater conversation that, that we should probably be having about how systemic racism is a venom in our society. Yeah. Um, couldn't agree more. And I think it's always unfortunate when a, a real serious problem is used almost as a prop in, you know, not to belittle an MVP award, which is a big deal, but, you know, to give out an award to the best basketballer of the year in any given year, I think it's it's a little, and again, not saying that there's nothing, a worthwhile conversation in NBA basketball, but as you mentioned, sometimes things are just pulled to really ridiculous lengths to just serve as specific narratives. Um, real quick, because we're going long, but I'm happy because this has been a tremendous conversation. I know you've said it, it shouldn't be viewed as, as far away, and especially this is now old data before the Bucks win streak, but 77 to 11 was Bontemps drop, straw poll, Jokic, Giannis. Some people didn't have Giannis, I think like top three or top five. That's a whole other, I mean, there's some, some people are crazy. That's that's where we're at. How close is it? And do you think, is there anything specific you look at outside of just like, you know, Giannis plays enough better over the last month of the year that could swing this. There's a head-to-head matchup. Who knows if we see both of them. We didn't in the last one, and it is a second night of a back-to-back for Milwaukee. And, of course, the first seed in the NBA and both conferences is still up for grabs as well. So I had uh, Jokic by a fair margin about a month ago, and Giannis has caught up to me because he's improved his efficiency. Like when he started dropping these 40 points on 60% tr- like field goal percentage, that's Giannis to me, right? is like a lot of this gets into the efficiency stuff is if Giannis isn't going to be this versatile playmaker, then he's going to have to be the hyper-efficient player that he's been consistently throughout the last three seasons, right? Or, you know, what, now four or five seasons. Um, That matters to me. And he's caught up to that. So to me, like, a good argument I think you can use is... Yes, Jokic's efficiency is better, but Giannis's usage rate is higher, and that factors for some of the drop in efficiency and the overall impact on both ends of the floor, even if it's not shown statistically, has what's led Milwaukee to a better regular season record. That Giannis may be more or Jokic may be more dominant in games where they're comfortable, but the Bucs have found more ways to win ugly, and that's a credit to what Giannis brings to the table. I think it's a very, I think it will be close. Now, I don't know if it's going to wind up being a close vote. Uh, so I will warn your listeners that if this comes out and Jokic wins and it is 77-11, I looked at the data since 2000 and, uh, or I'm sorry, 1980, which is when the media first got the vote. And the vast majority of the time, one player gets a huge percentage of the vote. Uh, since 2009, every MVP award winner has held an 89% or higher of the highest possible vote total. You get points for getting first. And the to- right. total point gap has not been below triple digits since 2005. And that includes the 2017 season. Russell still won by 135 points with 93% of the possible vote. We debated that thing endlessly. I was on the phone with vo- other voters that year <laughs> being like, what are we to do like what do you think about this and what about this angle and all these things and it's still wound up with rust 93 percent and the idea here that people will look at that and go like that's group think 
I think instead it's we all view basketball the same way because it's the same game. And most likely you're going to come to the same conclusion when you look at all the evidence across 82 games. So I, I don't know if the vote will be disparate in first place votes, but I do think that there will be a lot of folks very much wrestling with Jokic versus Embiid versus Giannis, and especially Jokic versus Giannis, uh, particularly if the Bucks finish with the number one seed. I thought there was a stat that Giannis had scored more points than minutes played since All-Star. I think the slower Washington ruined it. It's now 125 points, so 134 minutes. Shout out to Damian Lillard, 242 points to 225 minutes. There are people, again, it's like, I, I do think there's, it's like, I think you just said to have a certain level of superstar for this, which I think goes into like Booker and Tatum and Lillard, where, yeah, great players, great seasons, not, I think, top five players for long stretches, and their teams just aren't good enough, especially when it comes to Dame. So I just want to, you know, credit to Dame, great player, yeah. but it, it's just different levels to this. Do you put any stock in the head-to-head Dame? Because I remember the Embiid decisive win over Jokic. Oh my God, this is a big deal. And honestly, since then, I think Embiid's stock has fallen more than risen, mostly I think due to Giannis coming on. But I think it it could be a big moment. I I don't know if it should matter that much, honestly, because it is one game out of 82 or however many of these guys play, right? One game out of dozens of games for these players. Do you think narrative-wise it would have a big impact, though, if that game is a real game between the real teams and it goes decisively one way or another? There are some voters that really want these to be decisive. Yeah. Like there are voters I've spoken with. They're like, no, like I think that matters. Like when you're in that moment, like how do you perform? Um, I personally think it's absolute nonsense. I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> like, okay. If MB goes out there and he misses, if in the next game when they're in Denver, if he misses uh, seven mid range jumpers, instead of hitting four of them, did he did have a bad game? If he does everything the same way, like, and and they lose because the Nuggets win almost all their games at home. They have the best home record in the NBA. Like, yeah, we have eighty-two games, and all of the games count the same. Um, not you don't have to. You can parse out. Like, if you want to, if you want to, you can parse out how did the, this guy perform in the games versus the top opponents versus others. And I think Giannis actually has a really good case then. I don't think you can do it versus just the other MVP candidates because that's really contextual, you know, like especially with how many guys miss time and injuries. So um, I'll, I'll say this, like, does if Giannis wins in Denver versus a full strength Nuggets squad, does that help? Yeah, absolutely. I think it I think with some voters, it will carry sway. A lot of times what happens is they're like they really want to care about that one game and then they have to look at the whole thing and then they're like, ah, damn it, I have to know. <laughs> it doesn't matter enough. Like, yeah. this has honestly been the thing with Jokic. This is why I think it's so hilarious about the conversation. I've talked to voters. They don't want to vote for Jokic. He's not a good quote. He's yeah. not a good media personality. He's not a superstar. His game is different and weird and goofy. And yet he wins them over. I've made the comment on, on podcast that on a long enough timeline, Jokic wins everyone over and Giannis and him have that in common that on a long enough timeline, those guys win everyone over. And so, um, you know, we'll see what happens, but I do think that those games matter. Uh, I don't know that they'll matter enough to decide it, but if it's close, it could be a swing vote. I wouldn't be surprised. It will be a factor in some voters' minds. It won't be a factor at all. I think in the majority of voters. 
I mean, Giannis is the true stat pattern now. I guess failed stat pattern. They took it away. I, I, I can't I, – that had to have been on the debate shows. They went after him for the stupid Hassan Minaj, Kevin Durant written joke thing. I just don't care at all. I, I thought it was right that they took the rebound away. It was all stupid. Um, very dumb, the things that, that we care about. Real quick because, again, we're going over and I really appreciate your time. Where What are your thoughts on the Bucks overall heading into the playoffs? Obviously – you know, that's what the team and, and Giannis, uh, just same for Jokic and the Nuggets, right? That's what the real concern is here is is getting through the playoffs, winning winning the NBA championship. Their offense clearly concerning. We've talked, you know, on Twitter and, and here about, you know, if they get healthier, we would expect that to be better. And they've won ugly playoff series before. But are, are, where are you at on their chances of, you know, getting past Boston, getting some revenge for last year, mayhaps, and winning another one? Every year, I think the Bucs should win. Every year, I think the Bucs should win. Giannis is the most dominant player. Drew's incredible. Bud's a great coach. Brooks amazing. I've done this enough to where I'm always going to be like, are they going to make the shots? I think you're more scarred than Bucks fans on the shooting. I am. I think we just embrace it. No idea it how much money yeah. I lost on the Milwaukee Bucks <laughs> because they won't hit open jumpers. Yeah, man. Like this is the this is the whole thing. Is like. When it's when it's Boston game six, okay. If you're on the road, let's say you're on the road for for game six, you hold on to the one seed. Um, it's game it's game six. And you got a chance to close it out, or you're down two three either way. And it's that third late third quarter, early fourth, and you're getting these open looks. Are the Bucks going to knock them down? That to me is like what this comes down to. If we talk about overall quality of roster, quality of play. I do wonder if this is going to be like conceived of as like the last run for this core mm. with a lot yeah. of the things that they're facing in free agency and the way the roster is constructed. But they have championship pedigree. They know what it takes to get there. Giannis is amazing. He's ready for the moment. He put 50 up in a freaking NBA finals deciding game. Like he's insane. Yeah. Right. Like I love Giannis. I love Giannis so much. They got, they, they got to make the shots. And yeah. so I'm always going to be a, a little cautious with them because I, I watched 2019 and 2020 and 2022 when they had these opportunities and they couldn't get it done. And I believe firmly that if Chris plays last year, they beat that Celtics team. The problem is I don't know if that like I I can't just look at last year and go like it's the same matchup because like the Celtics got Brogdon and the Bucks got Joe Ingles and Jay. It's different now, and we're just going to have to wait and see how that shakes out. I worry about any scenario where the two teams are very evenly matched and it comes down to make or miss. That's where I start to worry about the Milwaukee Bucks. And so I'm always like, I think they should be the favorites instead of the Celtics. I think mm. they are the best team in the NBA from a playoff perspective. But I'm always going to be worried about them making the shots that they need to make when they need to make them. And I think one last thing that I just found interesting was your thought on was it Philly and Boston and and Boston sliding to two and Philly getting them earlier? Do you think Philly would rather see Milwaukee? Yes. Huh. Um, this is not about who's better. It's yeah, that, is it the smaller teams kind of getting into Embiid and just making it harder? Or I don't have the number on on, on right now, but Embiid's record is god awful versus Horford. I don't have any way to explain it. Like he just <laughs> can't beat the Celtics with Horford. Just can't. Yeah. Part of this is because Embiid still to this day struggles with double teams. Yeah, 
It really he's better. Gives him he's better, but he's still right. That's yeah. The, he's the, still the, really yeah. and Boston, I think, is the best doubling team because of how their defense is schemed and their awareness of how to switch off and like the switching stuff being so by feel like they don't need to communicate to call out the switch. They just know to do it. And so when a guy goes to double, they also recognize that and naturally rotate over or go into a hybrid zone. And that really helps with bringing that weak side pressure to disrupt Joel with surprise doubles and things like that. The Bucks are so physical. The Sixers, I think, are well. This is what's kind of funny is like my argument is the Sixers are are well built to withstand a, a, a tough physical game which is why they won 135 to 134 the other night or whatever. Like there was <laughs> yeah. no defense played. Yeah. Um, that really is kind of the question, but the Sixers also have so much firepower with Maxi and Harden and various guys that can step up and shoot that evens the playing field. I'm not going to pick the Sixers versus the Bucks. Right, right. I think the Bucks should win, but I do think that that matchup is better for them than Boston. I have zero confidence in Philly being able to beat Boston. Yeah, I that it was it struck me because I like the way Brooke defends Joel a lot. So I always come at it as like, you know, the Bucks can stay big. They always prefer that. They're better at that. Joel stretches you a bit, but I think the Bucks it's not as much as Giannis, but they're like, yeah, go ahead and shoot. That's better than you know you scoring fifty right over at ten feet away or whatever. So just had to ask, but I thought that was interesting. Thank you so much for your time, Matt. Please let listeners know where they can find you if they don't know already, and and the great work you're doing where they can find that as well. Yeah, check it out in the Action Network app. That's way for you to see all the stuff that we do. You can check it out at actionnetwork.com. I'm on Twitter at HB Basketball. I host Locked On NBA on on Monday nights into Tuesdays. You can catch that on Tuesdays with David Ramil. Uh, I host Locked On Nuggets if you want the Nuggets perspective on things, just because I'm local, not a Nuggets fan, notably. <laughs> um, and uh, you can also catch my betting podcast once, uh, if you're into that kind of thing, uh, at Buckets, which is the Action Network NBA betting podcast. Awesome. Matt, really appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Find out the show. Follow us. Subscribe wherever you're listening. Find the links at gspn.info. Thank you all for listening. Pod Random, and we will talk soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.